As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. To the Andy Staples Show. It's a left coast edition on this lovely Friday. Antonio Morales from The Athletic, our USC beat writer, joins us because he had one of the more fascinating stories I've read in a while on Keaton Slovis, the USC quarterback that came out in The Athletic earlier this week. And if you're not already subscribing, you, you know you can subscribe for, for a dollar a month for your first six months. So what are you waiting for? Uh, end of plug. But Antonio, we got to talk about this story because it was really honest and, and forthright from Keaton Slovis talking about his struggles throwing the ball last year and, and stuff you just don't hear quarterbacks say in this era. Like they don't, they don't kind of let the Joe Cool image drop, but he did. I mean, he was just talking very honestly about some of the struggles he had last year, even though statistically, you couldn't tell, but when you watched him throw the ball, you're like, okay, what's going on here? Yeah, exactly. It was when, when I was interviewing him, I was like, wow, this is really honest. This is really enlightening because last year there was all this kind of mystery around it and everybody had a different answer. Clay, Clay Helton was saying it was a, a slick ball in Tucson or you know, it was raining right. the morning of the Arizona state game. Yeah. And T- Tucson notable for its wet heat. Oh wait. <laughs> and the thing is Keenan Slovis is from Arizona. So, so um, right. he's used to throwing that type of weather and um, Graham Harrell basically saying like nothing's wrong. And Keenan, Keenan being like my mechanics are all off. So now that, they had, now that Keaton had some time to reflect, I wanted to talk to him about it. And he, he was very open and honest saying, my, my, I lost my confidence. And if you watched him play in just 19, that wasn't an issue at all. It, he was making some of the best, yeah. so, so, some of the most riveted. impressive throws. Well, I, okay, let me, let's back up to 2019 because he comes in as a freshman. He's unlike most USC quarterbacks, he's not a five-star recruit. He's a three-star guy from the Phoenix area, played played at a high school where Kurt Warner was his offensive coordinator. Uh, so he, he had 
pretty advanced knowledge of, of offensive concepts. And he comes in and the idea is going to sit behind JT Daniels and learn some stuff. JT Daniels gets hurt against Fresno state game one and Keaton Slovis comes in and just starts ripping it. How much, how much of 2019 was, you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. And even well, look, he committed to the, he committed when T Martin was the OC Brian Ellis was the QB coach and that's who he had the relationship with mainly. That's who essentially found him for USC. And then Cliff Kingsbury gets hired and even Cliff Kingsbury, they're still recruiting Dylan Gabriel when, when they have Keaton Slovis committed and about a sign. Um, so, you know, there was that aspect of it too. And then he comes to USC and people think it to be JT Daniels, obviously, and they have Bryce Young committed too. So, I think the natural progression everybody thought was JT for three or four years. Then Bryce Young's going to come in and start um, after that. And Matt Fink and Jack Sears were there too. So most people thought Keenan was going to finish fourth in the QB competition that spring. Uh, then it became clear, you know, he was, it was him and JT were the best ones. And then obviously JT goes down and, and Keaton just takes advantage of the opportunity and throws 30 touchdowns and, about 3,500 yards in basically like 10 games. He missed two or three games with injuries and things like that. So he, he could have put up, you know, about 4,000 yards in a, in a full season that year. And then you get to next to, to last year. And obviously there's no spring practice. So, you, you know, the hope was you, you've got this guy who you think is a, a phenom mm-hmm. and you'll get the first full off season with him as the starting quarterback. And then that doesn't happen that the, they did. Did they have one spring practice? I know they, they yeah, one spring on practice. The field. Yeah. So they had one spring practice and then that shuts down. The PAC 12 obviously was the last back and the shortest season. And that just looked weird. I mean, uh, you had a, a clip embedded in your story of a, a throw he made against Arizona, which by the way, got caught because they got some amazing receivers at USC, <laughs> but it was just a wobbly duck. And it's like, what, what's going on? Cause this guy was throwing seeds the year before. And the Slovis quote that I thought was, was really interesting. It's the first one you use. He said, I can't talk about people wondering what was going on. He goes, I can't really blame them. It's obviously frustrating because everyone thinks I'm still hurt. I know I'm not hurt, but I also know I'm not throwing it like I used to either. I'm a little frustrated myself. And again, I wasn't, it wasn't like something I could diagnose either. You're in the middle of the season. What can you really do? And by just brutal, refreshing honesty from a quarterback. <laughs> but, but, you know, he's talking about he, he got hurt. Uh, the hit from A.J. Epinesa against Iowa in the, in mm-hmm. the bowl game his, his freshman year. And so was that lingering? And, and, but, yeah, how, how hard is that? in the midst of everything that was going on last year, when, when he is struggling, how do you do anything about that at that point? Yeah, exactly. And that was something he wanted to, because he was dealing with arm fatigue at the end of his freshman regular season. Uh, he had thrown for 400 yards and four of the final five regular season games and USC really, really upped his workload. He was talking about arm fatigue and then he suffers the injury against Iowa. So he has to rest the arm for a bit. He wasn't a hundred percent going into spring practice. He was going to be on a pitch count. And, you know, so he didn't have time to go really see a, a QB trainer like he wanted to. And uh, then by the time, you know, he decided he was going, he wanted to, you know, spring practice got wiped out. So that wiped out that part of it. And um, the pandemic erases, you know, the chance to go see a, a quarterback's coach, his quarterback's coach 
obviously he had Kurt Warner as his OC, but his quarterback trainer back in Arizona isn't even a quarterback coach, really. He's an engineer by day, <laughs> and he's <laughs> – He's his son. Hey, his Tom, name is Tom House made a very <laughs> good living coaching quarterbacks, being an engineer. <laughs> his Tom name Brady's is Sean. Quarterback coach is an engineer. <laughs> his name is Sean Seaman, and his son was a quarterback and played the position. So he knew a little thing about the position. So he was the one who kind of helped Keaton through high school and stuff like that. So he never, Keaton had never really seen a quarterback coach before. He said, you know, it was kind of stubborn and he didn't have a lot of knowledge about it. Sometimes he just didn't feel like paying for one. Um, so he, he didn't really get to work on the mechanics and any chance he had to was wiped out by the pandemic last year. And like you said, the, the, the Pac-12 got back so late and it was a, a abbreviated training camp. So there wasn't a ton to really work on. And that's why he said he was really frustrated because he knew this was something he should have addressed probably in recent years, but uh, he just never got around to it. I think this is so interesting because, like I said, we don't usually see this from quarterbacks. And also because Keaton Slovis is kind of recognized as being potentially one of the big guys in the quarterback class of the NFL draft class next year. Now, he he doesn't even have to come out if he doesn't want to. But really, when you talk about guys going to the NFL next year and what the quarterback class is going to be, you talk about Sam Howell at North Carolina, Keaton Slovis, maybe JT Daniels if he has a, a good year at Georgia. But there's no obvious. It's not, there's no Trevor Lawrence in that group. There's no Justin Fields. You know, th- there may be a Zach Wilson type who pops up and and you see him flash and and all of a sudden he becomes a big prospect. But it's it's crazy because he could be a year away from the pre-draft process right now, and he's just now getting past this stuff and and you got to see him throw at USC's pro day the other day which is kind of interesting in and of itself they they've changed the rules a little bit so that a school can designate five players that are underclassmen that can work out with the with the pro day guys and so USC naturally needed someone to throw to these guys and and Slovis was the guy but you're also letting scouts get an advanced look at him and how do you think he did in that first kind of look that they had at him yeah, I saw him last week, and then on Tuesday we got to see USC practice and got to see him throw there too. And I, I think the spin on the ball looks better. Um, you don't see as many wobblers. There, there was a couple at pro day, but you know not as many as there were last year. And you see the spin start to get better. I don't, I don't know if the velocity is all the way back, but he's also he also separated his shoulder to to end uh, last season against Oregon. On the final play of the game, you know, he gets kind of thrown to the turf by two Oregon defenders and it's separated shoulder. And he had to basically not throw for a month. Uh, so it's been two seasons in a row with, you know, significant arm injuries to, to end his year. And um, so I don't, I don't know if the velocity is all the way back. And the velocity was such a big defining trait of his 2019 season. Um, I think he's throwing better, but I don't know if he's all the way back yet. Well, and, and that's the the interesting part because he he did get a chance to work with the quarterbacks coach and uh, he's worked with Taylor Kelly, uh, former Arizona State coach, right? And, and then John Beck, former BYU quarterback, who also, by the way, is Zach Wilson's quarterback mm-hmm. trainer for the draft and Justin Fields' quarterback trainer for the draft. Yeah, exactly. And um, so he's been working with those guys and they've been, they haven't touched his throwing motion. They haven't touched his arm. It's been mostly... And this was a thing that 
that Slovis knew during his freshman season, but he wanted to fix, they said he was arming so many throws, it was all arm and mm-hmm. no legs, no core. So that, that was something. Wear out your arm pretty quick. Yeah. And so that's why he was dealing with the arm fatigue. And so that, that was something that people had told me about him, you know, in February of 2020 that they wanted him to fix. And, you know, he just never had the opportunity to really work on it last year with the pandemic and everything. So that, that's been the focus this time around. And that's mainly what they fix is in posture and, and footwork and even Harold, you know, early in the story, I mentioned how Harold and him broke down uh, film and Slovis said that Graham was basically telling him like your feet, we need to fix your feet. Um, and that's, that's what's been tripping you up. But um, so it's been a lot of footwork, a lot of posture and, you know, fixing the generating more power from the lower half. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Any conversation about Slovis or, or USC at all comes back to Clay Helton. You know, Clay mm-hmm. Helton is, is the guy who came up as, as kind of a quarterback whisperer finder. He's the one responsible for getting Sam Darnold to USC. And uh, they, they had all the success with Slovis in the, in the first year. But it feels like Clay is perpetually on the hot seat. And, you know, they, they win the South last year. They lose to Oregon in the, in the championship game it feels like they have been lapped from a talent standpoint by Oregon uh, as the, as the most talented team in the PAC 12. And I'm just, I'm just curious where, where is the USC administration on Clay Helton? And then where is the fan base on Clay Helton? I think the administration likes Clay, but when you, when you hear Mike Bond talk, I don't think they've ever been really come out definitively and be like, he's going to be our coach. For the future, you know, for the long term, uh, they, they've supported them and they've obviously poured a lot of resources into that program, recruiting staff wise and support staff wise. Um, I, I think they want Clay to succeed, but they're kind of waiting, waiting to see it happen. Obviously, that school is dealing with, with a lot right now. They just paid $1.1 billion payout for the gynecologist scandal um, that happened. And that's not counting the the losses they right, face, and they, that's that's up there with Larry Nasser. That that scandal mm-hmm. it just it didn't it didn't go into the world of sports, which is why we haven't talked about it much uh, on on the stuff we do. But if you're a university, that's a massive thing you've got to deal with that makes you not worry about football at all. Yeah, and the the losses from the pandemic, and when when Mike Bone took over, and when everybody thought they were going to move off from Clay in 2019. 
you know, he was making about four and a half million dollars. So that would have been a, around a 21, a $20 million buyout then. Um, but that contract runs through 2023. So this kind of feels like a, like a make or break kind of year, even though we say that every year, but yeah. next year would be two years with the contract. And at that, that point you have to decide something. He hasn't done enough to warrant an extension um, and you can't let the contract get to one year. So it feels like this year uh, is getting kind of close to, Hey, we have to make a decision decision um, from an administrative standpoint. And from a, stand, a fan st- fan standpoint, they're not, you know, they've, they're out on Clay Helton. <laughs> um, they have, they, they've been out for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so it, it all, it seemed to me the last few years, because the skill talent at, at USC is undeniable. Quarterback mm-hmm. receivers are great. The, the backs have been good, but it feels to me like where they have faltered is at the line of scrimmage. And, and I think it's interesting because uh, they've got a, a guy coming out. Who's going to be a first round offensive lineman in Elijah Vera Tucker, who was a guard. And then he played left tackle last year, but I, I find it fascinating. Like Lewis Riddick from ESPN, who is a former scout player, personnel director in the NFL, he goes to watch Elijah Vera Tucker, and the only person he can talk about is, is watching Kayvon Thibodeau from, from Oregon. And at what, at what point does USC take advantage of some of the talent it's brought in on the line of scrimmage? Because it feels like that's where they could have an advantage over almost everybody in the league except maybe Oregon and Washington, and they just don't use it. Yeah, it's been – it's the recruiting's been – falling off a bit at that position. But even when they have gotten guys, they had Austin Jackson and Elijah Vera Tucker on the left side of their line, left side of their offensive line in 2019. Both of those guys are going to be, one is a first rounder and one's going to be a first rounder. And the offensive line was still fairly mediocre uh, that year. They got about, they got JT Daniels got knocked out, got knocked out for the season in the season opener. Keaton Slovis got knocked out, was being touched against Utah. And then Keaton got knocked out again against Iowa. And that was on a line that had two first rounders. So you're trying to figure out what's going on and uh, you know, like why can't they were now it's just starting to be a recruiting problem. So where Oregon's become the go-to place for all the offensive linemen on the West coast. And it's kind of interesting. I was thinking about it the other day, obviously when recruits think about these decisions, they're probably thinking what's going to best prepare me for the NFL. Oregon obviously has Oregon obviously has Panay Sewell, and he'll, he'll be a first-round pick, but they haven't had a ton of high draft picks on that. The past three years, USC's had a, a third-rounder. Jackson was a first-rounder, and Vera Tucker was a first-rounder. They've been putting guys out, but the offensive line hasn't performed well, and Oregon's built this reputation of, you know, offensive line, you know, come here. Mario Cristobal's really emphasized it. And, you know, I, I, it's just, it just they're in such a, a tough spot with that right now, and you know, with, with Clay, I, I think a lot of it had to do with the uncertainty about Clay Elton. I, I remember uh, going to a seven-on-seven seven, uh, event, but there was a, a lineman camp there as well. And Drake Metcalf, who was a, a center at St. John Bosco, or a left tackle, and he was in play center in college, and he just committed to Stanford. I was like, well, how much did all the uncertainty about Clay Elton, you know, impact your decision. And he was like, well, if they bring in urban buyer, I'm, I'm like six, two, I'm not going to really fit his off to line scheme. Well, I'm not big enough. <laughs> and uh, so 
you know, all the uncertainty about clay hasn't helped. And obviously with Mario Cristobal turning Oregon into a, into a power, um, he's really cornered the market on offensive alignment out here. And there aren't a ton. Um, that now, I, I will say, I, I will point out USC has a guy coming in. He's, he's actually playing his senior high school season right now. Uh, but will be on USC's campus this fall. Uh, you also St. John Bosco, by the way, Maximus Gibbs. I just, <laughs> yeah. lo- I just love that there's, there's an off- a 6'6", 350-pound offensive lineman <laughs> named Maximus Gibbs. So yeah. here's you, the hope you, for you, USC. You should watch uh, Coach Snoop on Netflix to get uh, some more Max Gibbs in your life um, and, and oh, see what he's about. Done. And, done. And, uh, well, the, the, the only reason I, I, I had just read about him is I wrote a story on a, a German defensive tackle named Hero Canoe, who USC's offered, mm-hmm. uh, who just came over and is playing for Santa Maria Catholic. And his second game was against Don Bosco. And Hero, who's a, a really funny kid, was talking about living through the game because basically <laughs> Don Bosco has like five D1 offensive line starters. Yeah. And they're just, and, and, and Hero was playing in his second ever football game. So he's just yeah. he was like, I'm 300 pounds, but these dudes are awesome. <laughs> so, so I'll definitely need to watch a little more Maximus Gibbs on Coach. Steve. Yeah, and you know, St. John Bosco, they have Ernest Green, who's going to be a right. huge priority target. Yeah, yeah, for for USC next year and Oregon and everybody. And that's that's the kind of lineman that USC needs to keep, you know, home and in their backyard if they if they want to get back to where they want to get back to. Yeah, and that, that's the thing, and, and it'd be curious because you, you mentioned you know a, a recruit saying, "Well, if they get Urban, My-, like that is what recruits are actually saying. Mm-hmm. Like they they don't they're not even envisioning a future with Clay Helton as the coach, <laughs> and that's that's what Clay's got to overcome. And I think the only way you do that, it feels like the only way you do that is you win the Pac-12 this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt like last year was their best chance. To be honest with you, everybody else was kind of in a state of transition. And they brought back about 16 starters and they just kind of had a, a malaise about the way they played. Um, and that's kind of defined Helton's teams for the most part um, over the years. They just kind of play, you know, it seems kind of lethargic. Um, and that's how they came out against Oregon and it really cost them. Um, Oregon jumped on them quick and USC never really was able to make up that hole. Now, now the talent level is going to start to dip a bit just because, the 2019 recruiting class was, was a little down by their standards. It finished 20th. And then you have the 2020 class, which was 64th or whatever it is. And Arizona state is going to be in the third year with Jake Daniels uh, and the receivers will be a little older this year. Utah is an experienced team and they've added some good talent. There's a transfer portal. UCLA seems like it's on the verge of kind of figuring it out. And they gave UC, they gave USC all they could handle. Last yeah, year, it, so it, it did feel like the end of last season. Chip Kelly and and that UCLA team sort of understood one another finally. <laughs> I don't know if that's yeah. There's any other way to describe it? Like it felt like that's what they'd been kind of building towards. So we'll we'll see if they can continue that. You and and Chris Camarani and and Christian Capel, uh, Doug Haller and Tyson Alger, who all cover various teams in the Pac-12. You guys chimed in in a story this week that I thought was interesting. Um, Stuart Mandel and Bruce Feldman had their top 25 coaches lists, and, and obviously uh, there were three Pac-12 coaches on there. Clay Helton 
was not on there. And as you've <laughs> astutely pointed out, you can't be on the hot seat and on the, the national top 25 coaches <laughs> list at the same time. So, uh, but, but Mario Cristobal from Oregon, David Shaw from, from Stanford and Kyle Whittingham from Utah were the three that made the list. And Whittingham has sort of been kind of a thorn in USC's side. It feels like, because mm-hmm. he has had that good line of scrimmage play. Like if he had, Anywhere near the skill talent that USC's had, <laughs> I feel like they'd have been in the playoff a couple times. Yeah, they. I, I think where it shows up with them is, is out out wide on the perimeter. Uh, they just don't have anyone that could really make a difference and kind of strike the fear in you. They, they had Carrington for about a year and um, uh, Kalen Clay, I think, who who kind of made some plays. That was in the middle of the last decade. They haven't really had anyone who who makes a difference out there. They've had, they've had great running backs, Zach Moss and uh, obviously the tragic situation with Ty Jordan, but th- they've had great, great running backs. And that's, that's never been an issue. Um, well, just, but USC the, can go in there and just throw it up to Michael Pittman and win games. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, it's, now it's Drake London and uh, Brew McCoy and uh, Gary Bryant, but USC's had those guys. And that, that seems like the missing piece, um, for Utah, and I, I think in, against some of the more talented teams, they run into issues on uh, with their offensive line. I think we saw it against USC when they lost to them and, and Matt Fink. Um, USC really kind of took advantage of Utah's offensive line, and so did Oregon, and and so did Texas and the Alamo Bowl. So I'm kind of interested to see how they address that moving forward. So Oregon is is the one that you kind of wonder, okay, can they take that next step? Because they, they, they feel like they're the best program in the Pac-12 right now. You've seen mm-hmm. them quite a few times live over the, the last couple yeah. of years. How do they compare? Like when you watch Ohio State or Clemson or Alabama on TV, how does Oregon's talent compare to those, those programs? I think they have a lot of good top-end talent. It's just the depth that, that's not there. And obviously they're building it right now, but like I, I feel like Noah Sewell's awesome. <laughs> I saw him at a, at a recruiting camp, um, you know, when he was a senior they're, in high their school. Their linebackers are going to be insane next year. Yeah, yeah. and Justin Flo, like, I, I wrote a lot about Justin Flo d- during his recruiting process. I love Justin Flo. He's, he's going to be awesome, too. And you have Kayvon right now. Um, I, I think they could add more beef to the defensive line. Um, obviously, it's Kayvon right now, but I think that's still an area where they need to improve. This, the secondary has been good, and they've recruited it well. Um, and they're recruiting linebackers well. I think the one thing that's missing though is kind of, you know, more more talent on the defensive line in addition to yeah, like the, the stud D the stud D tackle like the uh, the Christian Barmore at Alabama or the Brian Brise at Clemson that that sort of person is it, and it's hard to find those those mm-hmm. guys don't grow on especially out west. So, yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's interesting because you think about that. I thought. Um, I'm going to butcher his last name. Jay, how do you spell or how do you pronounce Jay's last name from USC? Is it Tufele? Yeah, Tufele. I thought he did a really good job mm-hmm. inside. But, you know, Oregon, you have to go back to like DeForest Buckner, who really was, you know, kind of a, a guy they, they projected really well. The Chip Kelly staff yeah. project, projected him really well. Coming out of Hawaii, high school basketball player, you just didn't know what he was going to grow into and, and obviously became a great interior defensive lineman, mm-hmm. but it felt, it feels like that's sort of the, the domain of Washington and Stanford in the Pac-12 yeah. is, is that's where they, they find those guys. 
Yeah, like a Greg Gaines at Washington. Um, who? Yeah, who was there you know. 17 years? <laughs> we, we could throw Vita Vea in there and uh, Daniel yeah. Jones too, though. Yeah. Um, so you know, that's that's something that Oregon's kind of missing. At. Like, um, they're recruiting receivers better. They got Troy Franklin from California. Um, I'm really high on Ty Thompson. He was one of the last. One of the last events I went to before everything shut down was an Elite 11 regional over here, and I was really impressed with Ty Thompson. I think he's going to be really I feel, good. I feel like the Tyler Shook transfer does sort of preface that, that it says, okay, mm-hmm. Ty, Ty Thompson is going to compete for this starting job. I know Anthony Brown's still there and and played well when he came in in the bowl game, but uh, you know, it's, it's gonna, it seems like Ty Thompson has a very good shot of being a starting QB at Oregon this year. Yeah, and I'm, I was really impressed with him when I saw him. He, he was there with guys like Tyler Buckner and Miller Moss and Jake Garcia, who are all highly rated guys in, in California this past year. And he, he held his own just fine um, at that camp. So I, I think Oregon's set up well for the future. I, I think the difference between them and USC right now is that off the line recruiting. And that showed up when Kayvon Thibodeau kind of, you know, just wrecked USC in, in the back of the title game. Yeah, and that's the, the, the game with Oregon and USC that, I feel like is even the even more telling was the one they played at the Coliseum <laughs> where USC was was very much in the game mm-hmm. through the entire first half and then it was like a switch got flipped and all of a sudden it was a, a blowout in favor of Oregon. Yeah, that that was the same week that you know the day before, two days before Ward leaked out that Mike Bone was getting hired. <laughs> and so Right, at USC, I, yeah. I think everyone was certain at that point that Clay had no shot of going back. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, they just lost by 32 and to Oregon at home and this team that's, you know, stealing all the recruits and um, then a new 80s coming. And so everybody was kind of certain that Clay, you know, wasn't coming back at that point, but they, they rallied at the end of that season and Mike Bone decided to keep them. And, um, you know, two years later, we're still kind of here having the same conversation about Clay Elton. So, but it's interesting to circle back to how we started this conversation with Keaton Slovis. If he did get things fixed over the off season and, and is better than he was last year and is, is as good or better as he was as a freshman, is it conceivable that they could actually win the PAC 12 and save Clay Elton's job? <laughs> I, I think the schedule sets up nicely for them. They, you know, they have Arizona state and Cal, on back-to-back road games in November, but that's like the only real daunting home stretch. They, they don't have Oregon and Washington this year. So they miss those two. Uh, I think they're going to be worse on the line of scrimmage, but I think the schedule sets up better. Um, and I think it's to be like a three-team race basically between them, Arizona State and Utah. And Herm's done some nice things at Arizona State, but you're still kind of waiting for them to break through. This, this could this could definitely be the year, uh, but it's still kind of wait and see. Um, they just had so many close losses over the years under Herm, where you're just like, is is this really going to happen? Including including uh, one to USC, where we <laughs> learned that that Parker Lewis really can't lose. <laughs> exactly, and so you're you're wondering when that breakthrough will come. Um, I, I would still favor Oregon right now um, just because they have so much talent. Kind of interested in seeing what Washington looks like. I think Washington could disrupt things, but yeah, right, right like now. I really get a look at what Jimmy Lake is going to be as a head coach but with that weird abbreviated season. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, Dylan Morris and John Donovan, we'll see what that connection is like uh, this year. But, but Washington's an interesting place right now just because of the way recruiting has been going. And I know fans aren't, aren't super amped about the coordinator hires. Uh, so it's, it's, yeah. that's they, an interesting they place had, too. They had elite talent in, in their town and, and couldn't manage to hold on to it. And, and I know that that's frustrating to them, <laughs> which and Puka, USC fans are like, Hey, we know about that. <laughs> and, and someone like Puka Nakua, who's in the program and he leaves to BYU kind of surprisingly. Um, and, you know, that's, that stuff's kind of surprising. And so I know people have questions up there too. So, uh, you know, there, there's questions about a lot of different Pac-12 schools right now. And Tony Morales, it has been a pleasure. This is going to be a fun year in the Pac-12. I know everybody mm-hmm. bags on it. I think it's one of the more entertaining products in terms of just watchable football. But I also think the way Oregon's improved, I think there's a chance they get a team in the playoff this year. I, I would assume it's the Ducks if, if they get one in. But mm-hmm. I, like, I cannot wait for Oregon, Ohio State, just to see where they stack up. To see, yeah. can, can they play against that level of team? I, I just can't wait. And I, I think we'll find out some stuff from Washington and Michigan too. Oh yeah. Um, and I, I think one of one of one of the more fun games will be us uh, UCLA and LSU uh, to to open the season. That's just an interesting yep. matchup. LSU and the Rose Bowl, and seeing how Chip Kelly looks now in in uh, his fourth year. So um, there's a lot of entertaining non-conference games. So we'll see how how the conference stacks up. I can't wait. I love this. We're actually talking about football like real football, like it's really going to happen when it's supposed to happen. And it probably is. It's What a year this is going to be. Yeah, no, it'll definitely be fun. And I'm definitely looking forward to it. Antonio, thank you so much. 